I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Blaster Cannon, Den of Geek's Star Wars and Expanded Universe podcast. Last week, we discussed our mixed feelings on the latest standalone movie, Solo, a Star Wars story. And now we've digested the tie-in books that go along with the movie. Uh, Last Shot and da- by Daniel Jose Older and Most Wanted by Ray Carson are on our docket today, along with some of the news from the Expanded Universe. There will be spoilers for both books in this episode, since we're over a month from the release dates for both of them, so if you don't want to know what happens yet, I suggest checking them out and coming back later. So our first point of conversation today is the increasing rumors about standalone movies. Since Solo came out, there's been a barrage of conversation about what it means uh, that uh, that Solo did not make the uh, box office records that it was expected to. Um, the Hollywood Reporter said on June 22nd that Lucasfilm was, quote, licking their wounds after Solo's turnout and reassessing the scope and marketing of future standalone films. We've had commonly known rumors about movies about Obi-Wan and Boba Fett, which seem to be the most likely contenders. Those keep coming up in the rumor circles. We haven't heard anything from Lucasfilm about them. There was also a bit of a kerfluffle earlier in the week when a rumor came out that standalone movies would be canceled Overall, um, we talked about this last week and I, or last month, and I predicted that Solo would require Lucasfilm to reassess some of how it's marketing the tie-in movies. Um, so what do you guys think about the likelihood of changes going forward? Well, for me, I, I think that the standalone films are, they, you can't abandon them over the, the mixed reaction of solo box office. Now I say mixed reaction to box office because I'd say overwhelmingly, not overwhelmingly, but I'd say for the most part, solo has pretty a positive buzz to it. It just, people aren't going to see it, not because it's terrible, but because people just are, there's a million different reasons that I've talked about a perfect storm. For a lot of these reasons, and some for some people, it's they don't really care about the character, or for some people, they're really irritated from Last Jedi, or for some people, for I'd say majority of people, there's a lot of movies that it's sandwiched between, and a lot of people just didn't have, I think, the you know, the, the Star Wars name alone to interest them to go see the movie because there's so much else around it, and they just saw Last Jedi six months ago. So, in my opinion, the standalone films. Th- I don't, I don't, when I read all those reports, I never looked at the standalone films as they're dead or they're done. And, you know, initially with the Collider report where they're saying like they're pretty much like, you know, halting all production, it seems like that was an overreaction to what whoever the, the source was. Cause there is some, it seems like a nugget of truth to it, but it's more of the reevaluating things and, and whatnot. So, I don't think that this is going to be the end of standalones. I think that there, there has to be a better way to market them. And this all solo has shown them is that Star Wars is not like, you know, uh, it's not going to demand people to come into it by itself. You have to really market to people. And I think that's what the, the lesson is learned from solo is that 
I think even in the movie, when the movie is good, I think most people, and I know that everyone on this panel thinks it's good, but I'd say a lot of people I've talked to and, and, and the reactions online have been, for the most part, pretty positive. And even the exit polls, like Ron Howard himself, he was on TMZ the other day, and he said that, you know, for me, it's my, it's my most financially successful film, and the exit polls for, like, the mainstream audience are all positive. Like, they're all good. Like, they're not – it's not getting bad scores from the from a mainstream audience. The problem is no one's seeing it. Compare this one to the fan reaction from Rogue One. I think Rogue One was marketed a bit better. Absolutely. Also, both of these movies had two different challenges. The challenge with Rogue One was to introduce people to characters they never met before and had very little investment in caring about. Solo had the opposite, where it was bringing a beloved character into a story, and would that story be able to capture the magic of the character? And that's one of the things that makes me interested in whether these Obi-Wan and Vader movies are in flux right now, because I want to emphasize that this is all rumor. Personally, I don't find it very interesting to work on the assumption that an Obi-Wan movie is coming, for example, without having an official announcement on it. It's just not the type of speculation that I prefer to do. But you do see these legacy characters are the names that are coming up over and over again. Boba Fett is the other example. So I wonder whether they're going to have to reassess how they market these movies and whether these big names are not enough for both the hardcore fans and the casual moviegoers. The hardcore fans do right now have this conversation about The Last Jedi going on. Um, Saf, do you think, what do you think about the difference in reaction between The Last Jedi and Solo? And does that affect the the standalones going forward? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure because, you know, I don't work in a multi-million dollar company or anything. Uh, but I think if they're planning on doing Obi-Wan and Boba Fett films, they're probably still going to do them. They might just take more time to do them or even... Um, might reassess how they're going to do them. Like, there was a lot of talk after Solo came out about, like, it being kind of the first of a series of standalones or something like that. And maybe maybe they're reconsidering that. Maybe they've only cancelled one of their spin-offs and the other ones are still going and people are just hearing about that one and it's being extrapolated from there. Uh, we don't really know. I think in the long term we will get more standalones from Star Wars because we will have that trilogy from Ryan Johnson. And, I mean, it's even possible they're just stepping back to focus on that trilogy and on episode nine and the TV series that they've announced. Um, because that is a lot of Star Wars, regardless. Like, whether or not we have standalones, that's a lot. Uh, but I think in long term we will have more standalones because it would be weird not to at this point. One of the options that I saw floated around, and it might have been on Hollywood Reporter as well, um, was that they might move some of these ideas from movies to the Disney streaming service. Netflix is doing quite well with its, you know, direct-to-streaming movies. It's possible that Lucasfilm would move them as well, which kind of goes back to the event thing we were talking about last week, about is Star Wars suitable on the small screen that way? And I think it's really too early to tell. At Staff, as you said, we're not the corporation. You know, they're probably working two and three years ahead of us right now. Maybe even, like, ten years ahead of us. We have no clue. <laughs> Yeah. Well, 
and, and for the most, and for the record, it's the playlist. That's who reported about the streaming service and possible films oh, there. You. No, that's fine. Um, like the, uh, like, and they, they even admitted that that's a, a, a rumor they heard and then they weren't necessarily like taking that to the bank necessarily either. But at the same time, I think smaller scale, and we talked about this in the last show, smaller scale films, I think is probably the more way to go for the standalone films. Like, for instance, the Obi-Wan film isn't going to be, isn't, shouldn't break the bank, really, honestly. You could make a very small budgeted, uh, Obi-Wan film, and it would be perfect on the, the new Disney platform, uh, Netflix-like, uh, you know, app or whatever. So to me, the standalone films, you know, I think as long as the story's there, you go with what's the great story, whether it's Boba Fett, Obi-Wan, a new character, new characters. Cause I'll be honest, you know, it does make me a little nervous just to like give do, to do something just to do it. I mean, that's, that's what we're in because of star Wars and you're going to try to make, you know, these things, but it's like, what you know, what do you mean by do something just to do it? What would be the difference between, like as opposed to what? Well, that was well. My what I was going to say was, like for instance, like Ryan Johnson, you did such a great job. Here's a trilogy. You don't really have a story or anything, but just make a story up like that. Like that makes me nervous. I'll be honest. Um, you know, mm. like like even Solo to an extent, like was kind of you know you know okay, like where what's the story? It's oh, let's do a solo movie. Like even though I love what we got. Think of Rogue One. Rogue One was an inspired idea by John Knoll. Like, hey, I have I have this idea. We should make a movie about the Death Star plans. That'd be really cool. Like, that's a little more inspired. Like, that was an idea, and they just kind of developed the idea. Whereas they kind of conjured up, like, what's hey, Ryan Johnson conjure up a, a trilogy of three movies, even though we have no idea if your first movie is going to be, you know, you know, well sell well or not. And then same thing with Solo. It's like there wasn't really an inspired choice. Even though I liked what they did, there wasn't an inspiration for it. Look at John Favreau and the TV series, right? He said, I've been writing the series before, like, for seven years now. It's something that he's been loving and wanting to do for a long time. It's very inspired. That, to me, is where the difference is. Like, where, you know, it'd be different if, like, you know, Boba Fett, you know, or uh, Kathleen Kennedy and everyone sat down and said, you know, we're, we're going to sit here and we, we will listen to anything. And then James Mangold walks in and says, I have the best Boba Fett story. It's a little different when they're like, Hey, James Mangold, will you do a Boba Fett film? You can do whatever you want. Like that's it, interestingly, I think that might be exactly what's happening in not the film department, but the animation department. Yeah. I think animation is part of where we're seeing. And I agree with you that relying on, the marquee names isn't working quite as well as working on these visions, these stories around, you know, whether it's John Favreau's idea, whoever's idea it is. I think that we're seeing a lot of that in TV, which can also become a problem. We all know that I'm kind of tired of Dave Filoni's like handprints on everything. Be nice. But <laughs> I think people know what to expect by now, <laughs> but that's a place where they are doing more original characters and more stories that are very much the kind of thing people wanted to tell forever. Like, you know, Filoni has wanted to tell the resistance story forever. And that's not to say that they shouldn't do that in films as well, but I think it is happening in animation. There's also the story group to consider. And I think the story group is often kind of what they do is not expressed well when fans talk about them even i don't i don't know the day-to-day -day of what the story group does but i know that as a fan 
one of the things that I love about Star Wars is the way the continuity comes together. And we're going to talk about this later with Last Shot, with how it does and does not connect to Solo. Um, there's a lot of potential for tie-ins that are tied in, haha, to <laughs> movies that are based around names. It's relatively, I don't want to say easy because all these projects are hard, but it's relatively um, formulaic to say, we're going to do a solo movie, so we're going to do a solo book. That's that's predictable, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think we've gotten like yeah. some fine tie-in books that were just, here's a tie-in book. I don't expect books to be the way they were in the 90s, where there was no movies to come out around them, so they were doing their own wild stuff. I don't necessarily expect that right now. But I think part of the change, the lesson that Lucasfilm might be learning about marketing, will affect the book's also, how it will affect them, I'm not exactly sure, but I have a feeling it might affect them. That's a fair point. Yeah, you know, I, I just think that with with Star Wars and and what, what we're getting from like you know from all the creative people and the story group is is not necessarily creative. You know, like what I mean by that is, and I'm assuming not I, from what I've heard and from the you know, on the in press and things like that, they just kind of orchestrate and help maintain. And the and there's different people in different genres or in different sections of the story group that do different things. They're not necessarily oh, yes, absolutely. Not, yeah, They're right. not germinating the ideas they're right as far as we know yeah exactly yeah. so and that's kind of what i mean by sometimes people go well this isn't going to happen because the story group says it's not going to happen and that's not always how that works right right so to me it's i, I just want the best stories and it, and it drives me nuts because everyone you know is like uh i i didn't want a solo movie you know or i didn't want this and it's like you know what like i didn't want rogue one you know, if you would have asked me, would you want to see a movie about the Death Star plans? I'd say, no, I don't want that. And, it, you know, but at the same time, it's I mean, what, yeah, I would have, I would have also said no to that. And it's like my favorite Star Wars yeah. movie now. So, you know, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, to me, it's like, I'm so tired of hearing that. And because you could say that about so many different sequels and things like that. I didn't want Ant-Man and I love Ant-Man, you know, I mean, it's like, come on. So to me, it's like, I just want a great story. And, and that's what, and that's what, I'll be honest, that's what Rogue One and Solo has taught me. Like, I may not have been like gung ho for Solo. He's not my favorite character, but like Rogue One and Solo are my favorite new Star Wars films. Like of all the four we've gotten, those are definitely my top two. And I just, again, like, I, I don't know what it is, but you just want, I just want the best story. And whether even if it's inspired or conjured up because of, you know, a bunch of people are sitting at a desk and they're throwing out ideas, like, so be it. At this, you know, I tend to like the ones that are more inspired usually, usually, but at the same time, I just want the best story. And that's what I want. And I, if it means, you know, putting things on hold, like what they've said, then so be it. Let's do it. Like, let's, let's reevaluate because, you know, and I think not just reevaluate the stories. I think it's reevaluate everything, the marketing, the budgets and things like that. I mean, let's be real. If Ron Howard was going to direct solo from the start, then I think this movie is marketed and probably a lot more successful potentially, potentially, maybe it wouldn't, I don't know, but I think it's, there's potential there. It would have been not as a negative con connotation to it, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. There was a lot of, I think maybe if they had, waited a little longer to announce some things about Solo, the behind-the-scenes changes wouldn't have undermined it as much as they did. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. I, I just think that with with what we're getting in Star Wars, 
I, I like what we've been getting for the most part. I just want the best stories. And if that means it's a Boba Fett story, because here's the thing, they're going to keep making films. They have to, you know, Disney spent billions and billions of dollars for these moves for this, this franchise. It's the books and the comics and, and the, and the toys. Those all make money, but what's going to make them money are the films because the film's going to generate everyone to buy all the stuff that, you know, they're putting out there or the TV show or whatever. Right. So we're going to get more films. They're not going to rest on, they're not going to, after episode nine and say, we're just going to take a break. No, they're going to keep pumping out films, you know, but they've got to figure out how to make it at the event. So we're going to do it. I just want them to do the best story. If it means Obi-Wan, which that's what I want, let's do it. If it means Boba Fett, do it. You know, if you know you can market a Boba Fett film to a mainstream audience, even though maybe all the, uh, a lot of us, you know, a number of Star Wars fans don't want a Boba Fett film. You know, if you think it's the best story, you can market to the, you know, to the people, do it because you're going to have to make the best movie that's going to sell the most, what you think is going to sell to the mainstream audience. Yes, you want to make, I, and I also said too, you know, I, on a different podcast, you want to make, you want to create a buzz with your, with your main fans because that's how you are going to get other people interested too and get them pumped up at the same time. But you guys, you know, it's, it's a balance, right? And that's why I think they need, they need to go to Obi-Wan now. I think they need to create a buzz. Not everyone's gung ho for an Obi-Wan movie, but a lot of people are. So let's get every, let's get Star Wars fans kind of, you know, excited about something that I would say, Maybe it's, help me out, ladies, if this is inaccurate. But would you say seventy percent of people would want a, at least a, a fandom would want a Boba? Or, excuse me, an Obi Wan movie, or is that too high? Yeah, I think that's safe. Obi Wan is a good like crossover appeal. It has yes, it could have a lot of action. It can have a lot of human interest. It's a character that a lot of people are fond of. I don't think that's a bad choice. I also think that speaking of stories that are getting a lot of buzz we should talk about thrawn and is there anything you want to add about the um box office spin-off situation Seth? no you both covered it really well all right so yeah if we're talking buzz and good stories i think the big thing in the expanded universe right now is the second thrawn alliances excerpt came out this week Shows Anakin Skywalker meeting Thrawn for the first time and failing to pronounce his name. This also created a lot of buzz because there's a uh, San Diego Comic-Con exclusive cover, which is gorgeous. It's one of those original illustrations of book characters, which I really like. I was also really excited because it's the first like prequel art we've gotten in a long time. It's Clone Wars Anakin Skywalker. It's like, that's really cool. I wouldn't necessarily have guessed that we would get that as an SDCC cover. So that is exclusive. If you get it, if you want it, get it fast. These things fly off the table. So if you're at the con, if you have a friend pick it up for you, but ideally, you know, get it first and please be polite when you're in those lines because they can get a little crazy. So did you guys read the excerpt? It took me a while. I was like marveling at the picture for a while and then I actually read the excerpt. <laughs> did you guys read it? I did not. I I don't read excerpts because... Um, yeah, I do this every time and you say the same thing every time. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. No, I, I it, but here's the problem. I'm not very excited about this book at all. And it's because I wasn't a giant fan of the last one. Uh, I like the time period. I'm excited to kind of see where that goes. But besides that, I'm kind of, I'm not, I'm kind of dreading listening to it, to be honest. Um, I thought the, oh my gosh, what's his name? I'm forgetting his name. The guy who does the, his voice for Thrawn. 
he does a fantastic job. Is it Jonathan Davis? I think it's Jonathan Davis. I think it's him. Could be wrong. If it's not, I apologize. Um, but the guy does his voice is great. The writing that he's reading is not my favorite. Um, so, so it's, I'm going to obviously for the, for the show, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dive into it. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to, you know, but I've got like kind of bad memories of trying to finish this book on the way to and back from last celebration. And it was rough. It was, yeah, I was, you know, be, I, go ahead. I agree. I don't entirely understand the hype for this one. Like the, the pictures are pretty, but it's Thrawn's never really been my thing. So We've got a book that people can be excited about, but this is kind of like, this is the tentpole book, right? I almost feel like the Thrawn novels are the saga films, and the tie-in books are the standalones in a weird reversal of how film works. We're going to talk a lot about the how like publishing works versus how film works here, but I think this is relevant, because the Thrawn books are the tentpole products. They're the thing that a lot of people want to buy. I don't quite get it, but a lot of people want to buy them. Yeah, the the books itself, I, I, I would would you really call them a temple book, Megan? Because I I would I would really. yeah, and I would because of how fast and furious they sold out at Celebration Anaheim. It was, or excuse me, at Celebration Orlando, it was madness. But it was it's because they were exclusive. The book itself, I mean. It could I, to me. It could have been any kind of exclusive book, and and it would have sold well, in my opinion. Mm, yeah, I mean, you know, that's possible. I do like. There are a lot of. I, I will say, I am very kind of divorced from the ty- part of the fandom that the collectors that buys them to have them. Like, I buy them to read them and dissect them. But you're right. There are a lot of people who are who want it because it's just exclusive and may or may not crack it open. Right. I have definitely noticed that there are a lot of people who aren't part of, like, the group of fandom we're a part of, um, and they are just obsessed with Thrawn. Like, (laughs) they'll always bring up the Thrawn novels if we're talking about the expanded universe, or, like, uh, like, they'll bring up Thrawn for whatever reason. Like, he is kind of a temple character of the expanded universe, and so it kind of makes sense that his novels would kind of sit in the area as well. Um... I don't know how it's viewed from the publishing side of it, but I am like fans were real happy when they announced the Thrawn novel, like real psyched because he is such an important character to like the expanded universe or at least legends. Um, and he's getting to be an important character in the expanded universe. Now I can't say I read the first novel. I always intended to, and then just never did. Um, so I'm not super psyched for the second one. Well, okay. I'm excited for Anakin, but that's about it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, I was I was just thinking that because I was thinking, like, Eli Vanto was okay. He, he was fine. But Anakin is a character I know, and, like, I'm, I don't think his voice is going to be great, but, like, he's a character that has a lot of weight on him. But then I was like, you know, it's bad when Anakin is the most interesting character about a thing for me, because I don't care about Anakin. <laughs> his standard is different. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I love Anakin a lot. So when I saw that cover, I was like, Oh yeah, okay. I might read this one then. Um, I mean, I, I will read it. I do plan on reading it. Uh, but yeah, it, it is kind of sad when Anakin's the thing that has me excited about a book. Anakin is probably the only reason I will want to read this book, to be honest. So yeah, Thrawn is just, I mean, I like Thrawn in Rebels and I liked him in the, you know, the original EU books, but I'm not, 
he's not my, you know, he's not like my main, you know, reason to read the book at all, to be honest. It's, it's to read how he met Anakin. I will say, and I'm not talking about how attractive he looks, but I will say I do like his battle armor. He does look cool. Yeah. He does. Um, yeah, it's like very, it fits really well. It looks like it could belong in the EU. It looks like it could belong yes. in the animation. I really just love that they have uh, original illustrations. It looks like it could be something from a tabletop guide. Yeah. I also don't understand why this isn't the normal cover for the book. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's got to be. It's got to be exclusive. It's pretty weak. It's pretty weak. Well, not the the cover's great, but I I want I want that for the regular cover, not some not just half his face again or some ridiculousness. Well, the the new the regular cover is him in the white uniform, right? Boo! I think <laughs> oh no no no! It's him. It's Darth Vader and him together. That's what it is. It's in a white uniform, and he's it's Vader's next to him. And it's you know, or it's alliances. I am a little bit curious about, like, does he know who Vader is? But I think we'll he see. does. I think, I think he, he does. does too. But then, like, he's Thrawn. He would be like saving up that information for something, and that could be interesting. Even though we know that's a plan that would fail. <laughs> okay, so I think in that case we're going to go on to our main topics. So our discussion about most wanted is going to be, I think, relatively brief, partially because. Saf hasn't read it. I'm Saf shaming now. Yeah, that's fine. I deserve and, the shame. <laughs> and partially because it is a shorter book. Um, so I was not th- enthused about this one at first. This is the Kira backstory. It's a young adult, um, like targeted to young adults. It was about Kira and Han growing up in the slums of Corellia. And I wasn't really excited about this one, partially because I, I didn't really like love Kira's character, and partially because I was a little burnt out on Solo stuff at the time. But when I did read it, I actually ended up liking it more than I thought I would, and I think that was because Kira's characterization was very consistent. It, like, helped me understand why she was doing what she was doing, um, why she valued money, and why she valued the glamour that represented money to her. There were scenes where you saw just how desperate they were and how it was so bizarre to them to have like clean clothes, for example. And I was a little bit like, okay, of course the girl character is going to like fawn over clothes, but also it (laughs) kind of made sense in her circumstance that she would like her normal clothes are like covered in dirt. So of course anything else would seem uh, nice to her, especially something that's actually fancy for her to like infiltrate this fancy place. So it gave her a strong motivation um, I thought Han's characterization was less remarkable. Like, he was okay. He was, they were both kind of, um, competing and learning to trust one another. So, overall, I think it kept its themes very consistent. And it had some cool monsters and stuff. But before I talk about that, um, you guys want to say anything about Most Wanted? Well, for, for me, I read Most Wanted and it was, I liked it more at first and I liked it less as it went on. And I liked, I liked to see more the interactions with Lady Proxima and, and Kira and Han and them kind of work, working them their ways up in the white worms, like syndicate or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, 
I don't know. I like I like that stuff too, uh, Megan. That when she gets the the clothes and Lady Proxima gives her like this kind of new present well presentable nice cl- nicer clothes so she can give the offer to the to the droid uh, or to the you know for the cube. I, I like that because you know to me it, she it was it was giving her something to like you know grasp you know and work towards because she's like oh if I do if I win this promotion that Lady Proxima is giving to me I'll have more nice things like this so you know I mean I I don't know if it, it I know what you're saying like it's pretty predictable and it's 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 kind of a trope but at the same time I thought it worked because again like she doesn't have much in in there so yeah, it, it was it, symbolic of her access to things it wasn't just it was kind of about the clothes but it was also like it literally helps her get into a building she wouldn't have exactly yeah exactly before and it it made me think a lot of why she might want to stay with Dryden Voss even though his gang is really cutthroat yeah, 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 exactly. So I, I, I'll be honest, like it, it was hard for me to focus on this book when, when I listened to it, um, the last like couple of weeks, you know, cause I'd kind of get busy and I'd go, oh, I gotta finish this book. It wasn't as memorable as I wanted it to be, if that makes any sense. Um, like I, there were some moments in there that, that, that I really liked. There was a, there was a callback to Han learning, you know, him kind of knowing, uh, what, uh, what's it? Tree wook? Tree wook? Tree wook? Tree wook? Is it cherry wook? I always say tree or ch- like like it's T-R-E-E. cherry wook. It's like tree wook. Oh, so okay. Oh, yeah, no, no. yeah. So the cherry wook. <laughs> there was a callback to that of him kind of like showing that he's known it for a long time, and that was kind of interesting. That he, he kind of maybe have you know kind of showed his uh whatever his way around wookies there. That was interesting. Uh, you know, I liked Tool, the, the, uh, you know, I like Tool, Old Man Paulo. I liked the characters that they had in, in the, in the story. I just didn't like the story. I do agree that it became, it, it, it's less memorable for the plot than for the visuals. I really liked that we got more Lady Proxima and how we learned that like a lot of the people in her gang were aliens, which was not something that I got from the movie directly, but that Han and um, Kira were kind of unusual because they weren't actually these like worm aliens. And there was one of the other, the human orphans had the dogs, which I think you do see in the movie briefly. And, the hounds, yeah. And, yes, the hounds, and he would like set hounds on people. I thought all those images were very vivid but i do agree that the plot itself it was sort of a series of vignettes and the main plot was not as memorable yeah so the the main plot it was hard for me to kind of understand like it was kind of weird to have the you know basically she kira goes to like bid for this information or cube that lady proxman wants to win and the money she gives kira to offer is like so lowballing and so like low that it's like offensive <laughs> and that was see that was interesting to me like that was really that was cool because I'm like, you get an insight into Lady Proxima and what she is, is she lowballing? Is she sending a message or is she that stupid? We don't know. Like, yeah, it, is she a really small town, small time gang? Or exactly. What? Yeah. So, and then, you know, Kira had to make it right because they are like basically like, you're insulting to us. And she's like, I'll make it right. I'll make it right. And, and that whole thing was cool. 
because you know Han was going and was getting involved too. Like again, I felt the characters felt better at the beginning, and they just felt more blah and bland as the story went on. And I mean every character: Han, Kira, um, is it Paul? Not Paulo. The other is it Solo? Paul, is it Paulo? Or what? Which one's the Paulo? The old one, the old the old Rodian. Yeah. Which one was the? Is I want to so, so Solo? Isn't it Solo? Was a, was the other kid? Yeah, yeah, the other kid, the Rodian. Yeah, and oh, yeah, so yeah, so yeah, so which again, Paulo Solo is like kind of hard to keep track of. I was like, because they're both also Rodian, so I'm like, wait, which one is this now? So yeah, I, I didn't. I liked the beginning. Once they kind of went back to like uh, Kira's like little um, original stack where they found her. Let's say get they got there and they were talking. That's when the story started losing me, and they had to like you know they met up with the um, the engineer. Engineer's like you know breaks someone out for me, and they break out the Wookie, and I don't know. It just got it just felt like it just started kind of going on too long for me at that point. And yeah, did you feel the, the same subplot, way? Yeah, the subplot with the Wookie definitely kind of felt like it was there to extend the story a little bit. I did appreciate that scene in Kira's, like, little home because it emphasizes how she didn't think she could own anything. Like, she didn't think she could have a world to herself, and which emphasizes, I think, the themes that are present throughout Solo and all the tie-in materials, which are, like, freedom and autonomy. And so she really wanted to have her own freedom and had to kind of claw it out. And I liked that... Her relationship with Han was not explicitly romantic in this book. It could clearly be leading that way, but whether mm-hmm. it was they were younger then or whether they were just, um, it just hadn't happened yet. It, they didn't like, I didn't think they forced that too much. No, totally. I felt that was actually one of the better aspects of the book because they, she developed an attraction towards him later on, but it wasn't like, it wasn't so like, oh, I have to kiss him. It felt like yeah, it was the early stages of the relationship becoming that, but not – it wasn't that yet. Yeah, this was not a story about attraction. It was a story about kind of finding Survival freedom together. with another person and bonding mm-hmm. over that. Yeah, and I really exactly. that. No, and that, that – to me, that was the kind of the more subtle things they did I thought a good job of is developing their relationship because then if you think about it, this takes, you know, you watch, if you watch, if you read most wanted and you go in to watch solo, their relationship is way more believable or not way more, but it becomes like, Oh yeah, it naturally blossomed into that because you you already have that, but it's not, it's not like, Oh, we had to kiss blah, 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 blah. You know? And no, like it was very much like Kira felt like a very, um, independent character that was developing feelings for Han because of the way he t- helped take care of them and how he wasn't necessarily, necessarily selfish. He did help them because he did help her. Like, and they realized, you know, when she, cause one of the things I liked about the ending actually was that Kira won the promotion. And so. It makes sense though when now when in solo, when Kira goes wait and stops Lady Proxima, it makes more sense because of her high status. That's why Proxima is like, I really want to throw this all away for Han because she's, you know, she's went up the ladder faster than Han did. So it made, it made more sense at that point. So 
I really like that idea that Kira won, you know, won this because she was smart. She, you know, she was the one making the plans. Like she, you know, it wasn't like she was like lucky, you know, when they are, I, I did like the parts where they're, when Han and Kira are talking and trying to figure out an idea, like, what do we do? And she's like, sometimes the best ideas are the simplest ones. And it was her idea to go with that route and her ideas usually worked. So it made it, her winning that promotion made sense at the end. And also made, it kind of also shows how she's valuable to um, Dryden because of that, because she is smart and she does have good plans. I mean, she's the one kind of, you know, off like, what are you guys going to do? You know, what, and once they start throwing out those ideas in solo, she starts expanding on them. She's, she's a very bright girl and it shows that in the book and in the movie. I actually think this book added more to the movie than last shot did. In I terms would, of I, understanding the motivation yeah. of the characters. Well, I can't say a last I shot. Agree. I mean, I haven't read this book, but I can't say a last shot added all that much for me. So I'm not surprised to I hear that. I also... My opinions of last shot have possibly gone down since we talked about it last. So let's um, let's move on to that, unless there's yeah. anything else that you guys want to add. I think we have a lot more to say about it. Well, for, I'll just say for Most Wanted, I feel that it wasn't a... It wasn't a terrible book. It just wasn't, it just, I just wish it was a little bit more, a little more juicier. I, I wish it was a better overall plot. I thought, I felt the writing wasn't bad. I felt the, the writer got the characters' voices for the most part. I just feel like the plot itself did not do the characters justice for what, uh, I believe it was she, right? Ray Carlson's a she. Um, I feel like she, she got, I love the, the situations or the, you know, the reactions that they got in the situations, but the actual situations were kind of bland. Yeah. And it was a very serviceable book. Like I read it relatively quickly and it's, it's hard to write as a decent book, you know, but I also, I did think the writing style itself was nothing to write home about. Um, it was pretty, it was not, um, it was not challenging, I'll say that, but I don't think it needed to be. It was it was fun for me. Let's uh let's talk about last shot. I have a lot. I basically want to go down a list of characters, but I think clearly Han is our most important character. And one of the problems that I had with this book was that after I read it, I thought, well, that was a fun adventure story, and like the Millennium Falcon did a lot of spins, and like that was nice, but I don't. I don't know what this added to Solo era Han. I think it added to sequel trilogy era Han pretty well, because we got to see him as a father, which was really cool, and, like, the inclusion of Ben Solo in this. Ben Solo is in this more than he was in, like, anything else so far, I think, unless I'm really forgetting something. But seeing Han as a father and also seeing Lando as someone trying to settle down, those <laughs> those were, like, the main... Plots, I think it was like freedom versus settling down, which in this case was like, do you want to have a family or not? Which has its is also a trope in a way. But so let's talk about how this connected to the movie Solo. There were some questions when I read it first about how this connects in terms of the timeline. Um, but we'll talk about that a little more when we get to Lando, I think. So how do you feel about Han's, uh, like, the 
the early parts of his story. And I did really like how this book was set up. It had a, a three different time periods, and the story would swap between them for, well, you know, where it would be most dramatic to do, basically. But so that you could see what happened in these, in before uh, the original trilogy. Um, I think it's shortly before the original trilogy is when the main plot is set. And then after when Ben is a baby. Yeah. Well, I think that the book itself was you you nailed it really well, Megan, where you said it kind of has gone down as you think about it. And that's kind of what happened to me a little bit. I really liked it at first. I, I was really into it. And then again, kind of like most wanted, it's not as bad as most wanted. I like this book more than most wanted, but it was the last part of the book was hard for me to finish. And I just didn't, I just didn't, wasn't invested with the characters as much as I, I thought I was. And, um, is it Gord? Is it Gord? Is it, is that right? Gord? Gore, yeah. Gord? Yeah. Gord. Um, Gore was, was fine. was a fine villain, whatever. But I liked the idea of splitting the different timelines. But at the same time, I, I wish I would have got a, it wasn't really a tie in to solo other than L3 and Lando were in it in that era. Like that's essentially the closest. It comes to me, in my opinion, to the story is that, you know, it has that tie in with L3, but that's it. Uh, I, I did love the Han and Chewie and, and Sana storyline. Like that was probably my favorite part of it, of Han trying to flirt with Sana and her not caring. Like, I love that. Sana in this was, was really exciting. Yeah. Cause I knew her from the comic. So yeah, it's really cool seeing her in it. Yeah. So she, she was great. And so I liked all that stuff, but I didn't really care for, I liked most of the sequel trilogy like era stuff, but then I got kind of tired of it and I wanted, I wanted more Lando and L3 and Sana and Han Solo and Chew and Chewie. So it was the main story was, and again, the main story was fine for the most part, but I just got kind of bored at the end. I'm like, oh, I kind of want to, I kind of want to go back in time. And I don't know if it's because sequel trilogy stuff has just not been as, as a, uh, it's not been, I haven't been loving it as much as I wanted to the last couple of years, but it was hard for me to get into it at the end. I liked it. I loved, I love the beginning with Han and shoot and Han and, and the, with Ben and Lando showing up and punching him in the face. Like I love that stuff. That was great. <laughs> but yeah, like other than that, I thought it was, it, it's, a, it's a solid book. I used to thought it was one of the better canon novels, but now I'm kind of like, you know, it, it, it's, it's not terrible. It's not the best. It's, it's a solid book with that. With that is, would you guys agree with that assessment? I, I agree. And like, I read it quite quickly when I read it the first time and it was a fun adventure story and like, I don't want to bash it, but the more that I think about what the characterizations that they actually had for the characters, they feel kind of light and the, the villain was very pulpy to me. Um, some of the stuff they did with L3 was like very cool and funny, but it was very pulpy. And I had trouble reconciling that tone with like, this is a deep story about Han Lando's relationship and. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I wish that had been balanced a little better because I did really like like some of the parts that are most memorable, I think, are things like the conversation with the Gungan, where the Gungan is basically like, I don't talk in, you know, jar jar speak. I can talk like I can speak basic. And it's very, it's both very funny and very like significant in terms of calling out basically in universe racism. And I liked that. We also get characters like Taka and a lot of very progressive stuff in this book. And then on the other hand, there's these, these goofy, gory villains and things like Lando's relationship with Kasha, which just came off as very cheesy to me. And it was a weird, I have trouble saying like, yeah, this is really good. Like this is the kind of Star Wars book I want because it, it, it isn't, you know, Saf, what do you think about Lando and L3? I remember when I first read this book, I was really into L3 and Lando and their um, relationship. I think watching the movie and thinking you know, later on has kind of changed that for me. In the book, like, L3 is exactly the kind of character I love. Like, she is really gung-ho about robot rights, and she's a really cool kind of character who has good banter with Lando, um, and those bits are really strong. I do really enjoy those bits, or at least I did when I read it. But with hindsight, it's hard for me to look at it the same way, if that makes sense, uh, which is kind of a struggle for me. Yeah, I think that's inevitable when it's something that changes your view of the character, changes your view. Do you think that do you think that Older and Ron Howard were working off of maybe even different versions? Because So one of the things I discovered when I was looking at some of the research for this was that the idea that L3 would become the Falcon was part of her story from the very beginning. She was supposed to be, like, the origin of the Falcon. Does that affect how you view her at all? Well, it sure affects the way that I think they handled it. Because if that was in there from the start, they sure screwed that up to make it actually seem meaningful in a lot of ways. Not anything to say about Last Shot. Last Shot was fine. But, like, in the movie, if that was her original, like, intention, then creating a droid entirely based around the idea of freedom was a bad idea. Yeah, and that almost, maybe that was a holdover from the previous script. I don't know. But she has some really great lines in the book about her freedom. She has these speeches, and I I also liked those. Even though they were, like, she had jokes as well, but I liked her a lot more in the book than in the movie, I think. 
Yeah, same. Like, I'm still attached to that idea of L3, even if I struggle with her character now. I, I think that she was a little more serious in the book. Like, she definitely cracked more jokes, or or she cracked a few things here and there. But, so, we could talk about L3 for a quick second, because I think this is interesting, because she is... And I'm reading the Lando comic right now. And Lando comic's okay. Not the, the right home about, but it's it's solid. It's okay. Um, she's totally like she is in the movie. But in the book, it feels like she's a little more like she's less funny and more just kind of a, a jerk. Not a jerk, but like a little more just kind of like you know, mean, it seems like, like she's a little mean, I guess, like, you know, or whatever in the movie, but she, it comes across more joking. Whereas in the book, it comes across more just kind of mean and just kind of doesn't care. And it's definitely about droid rights. And that's, that's still there. But I wonder if maybe, um, older, the writer didn't get necessarily, um, an updated script or maybe interpreted things a little differently than what, um, that was given. And maybe the, the story group and, uh, whoever just said, okay, this it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. It's, it's not like she's going to have a huge arc of her personality, but that's the kind of way I, I look, you know, at least when I read it or listened to it on audiobook, it didn't come across the same as, um, the character in the movie. And especially in the comic book, because she's definitely more like the movie character in the comic than she is in the book. And again, I'm wondering if there's just maybe a, because this book was being written in a different time or he had different, you know, a different script or something like that. Maybe they made some changes that they that it comes across a little more serious. Is, does that would that make sense? Do you guys would you guys agree that she comes across a little more serious in the book compared to this film? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Which is kind of ironic from, like, what I said before about how I don't think the book is serious enough, (laughs) but I do agree. And I do think that there's – that theme of freedom plays out in Faizan Gore as well because he wants to basically, like, hybridize people and droids, and he wants to have control over every droid in the galaxy – And that's something that L3 can directly fight against. She has a really solid reason for fighting against that. And the stakes for her, she has a very personal stake in the stakes, shall we say. Which I don't think she did in Solo as much, partially because she died halfway through. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. She had a lot more invested in the story than in Solo. So there were, I, I think... I liked the crew in general of this book. Um, we talked a little bit last time about how I think uh, Older did very creative things with using the different timelines and using a lot of alien characters. And, like, Taka is a very um, energetic, very unique character. They are, they are they go by they pronouns, right? So that's a, t- a gender identity that we haven't seen in Star Wars before. So that's neat. And then also Taka is just like super fun and has all these great one-liners and likes a certain <laughs> type of music that annoys everyone else. Like that's just a really fun character. But then we had characters like Pikpa who was really um, kind of got a lot of buzz because people were like, she's an Ewok slicer. And I was like, she's a lady alien. Like, that sounds great. Um, <laughs> I can often identify with lady aliens. And, but she was, I, 
kind of came out of this wondering, like, was she actually a character? Because she none of her dialogue was translated, or very little of it was translated. She was useful, but she was also very much the comic relief, which I guess, like, again, I don't want to sound... I think if you know me by now, you know that sometimes I can be stuffy, like, everything has to be serious. And I don't want to be like, this Ewok has to be serious. <laughs> but she didn't... I did not think she was as motivated to join the crew as the rest of the characters were. She kind of just felt like she was there as, like, an idea of a character. Like, being like, this is a really cool idea of a character. But then she didn't really contribute that much to the story. Like, she did a couple things. uh, But sometimes she would just disappear. She just wouldn't be there. And then she'd just pop up because she's suddenly necessary. And then she'd be gone again. Because there was no way to translate her or something like that, I guess. Like, her talking wasn't that good because it was just Ewokies. Um, but it was kind of, I did, while I was reading it, I was kind of like, I wish there was more Pikpa, but I also wish there was more translated Pikpa so I actually knew what she was saying. Or at least, I don't know, more characterization given to her because she's a really cool, like, the idea of her is really cool, like a lady Ewok slicer. Very cool. But she just wasn't really in that book at all. Yeah, and she's very competent, but not in, which that still doesn't make her a character. <laughs> I felt her her introduction was the best part of the character. Yeah, I, I love the introduction when she's you know at the at the desk and I, I could just I, I think that again I go back to the beginning of this book. I love the beginning of the book and and same thing, same thing was most wanted. It has strong beginnings. It just kind of ends. It just kind of drifts off. No pun intended because of the ending, but like. It's just, you know, but I mean, it just kind of just, it just kind of ends on a flat note a little bit for me, but I love the fact I, I love Lando and Han Solo walking into a, an office with an Ewok receptionist and they're trying to communicate to her and she's just like, ah, ah. And like I don't speak and Lando. And again, I'm listening to the audiobook and the guy does a great Lando impersonation. And he's, I don't speak Ewokies, you know, or something like, it's just funny. Like, so it just, <laughs> it was great interactions. And then when, uh, I think it was, um, what's his name's husband? Um, oh my gosh. Singer, Singer's husband. Is, uh, oh yes, yeah, is that was the, oh, yeah. an amazing cameo. Yeah. I forgot. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned. I forgot he was in this. And he's like, Ponder. I gotta get my my other my other slicer on the on the job, the best one yet. And they're like, all right, who is it? Come on in, Pikpa. And he come, and then like, and it's the same, you know, Ewok from the second. They're like, what? Yeah. I love that. Was great. Like it was written really well, and I I laughed out loud. I remember I was driving to work when I was listening to it, and I laughed out loud at that part. That was actually one of my favorite parts of the book because again, they got. The older got the older, the older got the older Han Solo, um, and Lando, uh, voices really well. And I, I, la- I just thought it was a great moment for them. And, um, yeah, I, I liked it, but I agree with Saf. Like, I felt like she was gone and she wasn't. And they're like, you know, like I'll be, I'll be listening when they, when they were trapped in the cell. And then all of a sudden, like, Pikpa, he's on this, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot she was there. <laughs> you know, you didn't know yeah. if she was there, because, but it's only because, you know, whatever. But I did like the connection she had with Chewie. I love the fact, I love that they talked about how Chewie, all the, all the Ewoks love Chewie and pretty much worship Chewie. Like, it was a big deal for them. And that's why she did it, was because of Chewbacca, basically. Yeah, I thought that was kind of silly, but I mean, no. that's her, again, not to be like, no jokes allowed, <laughs> no fun allowed. 
know? It wasn't even like, a joke. I thought it was cute. Like they all like really respected like because they identified and then they could relate to this giant, you know, you know, hairy mammoth that's somewhat like them. I thought that was cute. I, I liked it. Anyway. <laughs> See, now Whatever. I was distracted because I really wanted Sinjir to be in this book. Like, I'm glad Condor was in this book, but I wanted Sinjir to be in it because I just want to know how his life as Leia's assistant is going because I'm sure it's going amazing. So, let's see. Uh, we haven't really talked yet about the Phylanx Redux transmitter. Do we have I to? Was, do we have to? <laughs> it was basically... The MacGuffin. And there was about five seconds between me going, wait, the MacGuffin talks, and me going, this is too much. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so, like, again, I almost think it's similar to what you said about Pikba earlier, that she's more of a concept than a character. Um, what did you guys think about this, this reveal at the end? I forgot about, I honestly forgot about this reveal until you said it. I was like, oh, yeah, that happened. Um, it was interesting i guess i i don't know how i feel about it still uh the whole ending bit kind of is blurred together for me a lot i think it this this definitely like sat on a weird line between horror and humor to me like i think it was supposed to be frightening yeah. and surprising and it was but it was also so pulpy and i think maybe if this was I think it was a lot of fun, but um, to me, it was just too like over the top, pulpy. What did you think, Paul? Because you generally enjoyed like the rest of it. What did you think about this? I that whole the whole phalanx thing. It just was it was too much for me. I I was not yeah. a fan. Like it was. It's one of those things where I. It's it, it works. It's fine for the moment, but I I also it felt. I'll be honest, the whole MacGuffin thing, it felt very un-Star Wars. It, it worked. It, it's, it works for Star Wars, but it just, it feels lazy. You know? Like, I, I don't know. Like, the whole, the whole premise was kind of dark. You know? Like, yeah, I, I like that idea. Okay. I, I like that. Fair, like, I, I really liked, I really liked the kind of villain thing of like what the, he was using the Phalanx Redux. Like, well, like, I guess he wasn't really using the transmitter that much previously, but, like, that thing was kind of weird. But the idea of the villain, like, turning people, like, using people parts for droids was really cool. I really dug that. No, I, I, I like more that. Time spent, like, in that, yeah. I like that, but I didn't like the fact that there's, again, the MacGuffin of, like, you know, I kind of, I wish that there wasn't, like, they were trying to find something. I wish they were just trying to stop him, necessarily. That's what I kind of wanted. It just, it just felt too convoluted. And, you know, that, you know, oh, we found it. It talks to us. I'm floating in it. It, it's, it was too much for me. I just felt, like, I liked the, the darker aspect, like you said, Saf. I actually liked that. But at the same time, I felt it was too, it was too complicated. That's, and again, this is where I'm going to say this. The not these the the canon novels have been a little too comp complicated at times. At least for me, I'm a simpleton. Give me a basic story and ex make, <laughs> make it a fun story. You know, I don't need it to be like like I'll give I'll give Thrawn at least a little bit. Like it was a little more straightforward, and I like that. It wasn't a great well, story, but yeah, go ahead, Megan. That's a really good kind of lead in to something that I wanted to talk about about the books overall, and you kind of hit the nail on the head there with talking about Thrawn, because Thrawn, like, himself is a very cerebral character. But that book also featured, like, a central 
relationship, right? It featured Thrawn and Eli kind of like getting to know each other and Eli having his own ambition and Thrawn having his own ambition. So while Thrawn's like machinations are complex, the character relationships are very clear. This book was almost the opposite where the character relationships were not always clear. Characters would kind of disappear. Characters would kind of they were connected to the theme, but not completely, or they were connected to other parts of the saga, which I think overall is a good thing, but there might have been a little too many in here in terms of, like, too many characters overall, and there wasn't a great, um, like, friendships or relationships between them, and I think, like, the friendship between, like, Han and Taka was good, like, but even Han and Lando, I didn't get a strong feeling of, of friendship between them. They've always kind of been frenemies, but I think I've been having a problem lately with current Star Wars books, like, not creating or capitalizing on long-term, like, meaningful relationships, which is ironic since this book was all about people that couldn't really commit to long-term relationships. <laughs> but to me, I think that's a good transition into talking about kind of what the canon overall is doing right now. That's, I never thought about it, but that is 100%, I think, what I've been struggling with lately is the fact that there's no, like, core central relationship in a lot of these books that's driving the themes and the story. Um, a lot of it is just the story and the characters are also there. Like, I mean, time to bring up Twilight Company, as I always do, but I think one of the reasons that book is so strong for me is because it is so much about Namir and his relationships with the other people in his team. Um, like, the story happens. The story's important, but like Chalice and Namir and the characters within it are so strong and their interactions with each other are super, like, they're kind of the most important part of the book. Um, and also with Inferno Squad, which, you know, I enjoyed, yes. didn't love it, but I've loved it more than a lot of the more recent stuff. Uh, I think that's because it had really strong relationships amongst Inferno Squad themselves. Like, they were a core part of the story. Um, I think even looking at all of, like, the Legends novels that I like, a lot of them are based very strongly around relationships and, like, the characters, like, being committed to each other. Like, not committed to each other, but, like, being central to other characters kind of thing. And I think, I've never thought about it that way before, but I think that might be what I've been struggling with lately, because Last Shock does definitely have that issue that characters kind of aren't always there, or that their relationships aren't fully built upon, um, or it's kind of assumed that maybe you'll bring your previous knowledge of the characters to make that relationship in your head. And those relationships don't even really have to be positive. I don't want to sound like I'm basing this only on the yeah, fact yeah. that, like, they're smugglers or they're rogues, and so if they're not all, like, hugging each other and, you know, flowers all the time, I don't like it. Like, that's not what I mean. It's more about creating arcs that open and close with understandable emotion and understandable motivation. And I think Last Shot was well-constructed in a lot of ways. It was really complicated. It's told out of order in three different ways, mm -hmm. you know? It's yep. a very complicated book. <laughs> but somewhere in there, these the connections between the characters got a little bit lost. And that also seems like a symptom of the overall issue right now with marketing the standalone films. Um, I want to talk a little bit about these books as products, as... Um, assignments essentially that are given to the publisher to say we're gonna tie in a book with the next movie coming out whether that's solo or kenobi or rogue one we're going to we need this many books pitch us 
this many books, right? I think that's roughly how it works. I'm sure it goes back and forth numerous times. But I think with the standalone films being marketed in a sort of inconsistent way, we've had a lot of changes in the amount of time that we have before the trailers start. We've had a lot of changes in how much information the directors want to give out and how much information the marketing team wants to give out. Um, And now we're creating one or two movies a year. And within that, that means there's time to schedule tie-in novels, but there's not necessarily time to schedule standalone novels. I think it's significant that you bring up Twilight Company and Inferno Squad, both because those were tied into things as well, but they were not tied into movies. I was, uh, I happened to have Inferno Squad on my shelf next to Last Shot. I don't have them in chronological order, so it's kind of like, that one fits there. So, but I was also thinking about that one as one that had a good crop of original characters, and it had them because it was connected to a game, but in between, there isn't a lot of time to schedule a book that's something like Aftermath, right? Aftermath was, I think, a really good platform for the new canon, and then after that, that hasn't spun out as much now that we have more movies coming out, because there just isn't time. Um, So you guys feel that the novels are coming out too often or too infrequently, or we talked earlier about how the Thrawn novel has its own kind of buzz around it. Um, Talk about how these work for you as products in terms of books that have come out since the solo, um, or maybe since the last Jedi marketing push. If I'm looking at them as products, I definitely struggle with these big gaps where there's nothing, and then suddenly there's a bunch of things. And I forget because I'll focus on the one book that I'm, like, seriously interested in in the bundle that comes out, and then forget about every other book. And someone will bring it up later. I'll be like, oh, yeah, that book exists, like Most Wanted, which I kept forgetting existed, because Last Shot was the one that I was talking about. Um, and so if I'm looking at and how it works for me as, like, a consumer of the product, it doesn't work great, because I would... I function much better with book releases if it's, like, one release every few months, as opposed to a few months of nothing, and then a bunch of books, which kind of seems like it's happening, largely because, you know, they're marketing for the movie coming out with the books, which makes sense. It's just, for me, it's a struggle, because I can't keep track of that many books at once. Does it affect you at all, whether the books are in continuity with each other? Like, did you, were you more, um, were you able to keep track of them better when the Aftermath series was coming out? Um, yeah, I think so. Like, if it's a trilogy or something, then I am aware of the fact that the next book is going to come out. Uh, I mean, I guess, for me, I don't care about tie-in novels that much, because I prefer novels that are more standalone. Like, I mean, Inferno Squad and Twilight Company are both tie-ins, but they still kind of stand alone in their own way. Um, whereas, like, things like Last Shot and Most Wanted are very much about, like, the movies. Like, they're they're their own stories but they're still very tied into the movies and so like for me the idea of reading most wanted now i'm just like but i don't want to because i didn't like the movie that much and if it had been its own thing that wasn't you know as directly tied into the movie i might have more desire to go after it now uh so personally i prefer novels that kind of stand alone more and that aren't released in big chunks which is kind of what we're getting now and i understand it because like i said they're releasing with the movies and everything so it's it's fair that they're releasing books like this just personally for me it doesn't work great 
I'm in an odd place with it because I totally understand from a marketing perspective, of course, you'd want the product that's connected to the movie that's in theaters to be out at that time. And I'm not, I don't have a complete thesis on why this feels so odd to me, except that there are... Uh, sorry, that thought is not complete, as evidenced by the long pause. <laughs> um, Aftermath almost started what I thought would be the new expanded universe, right? I kind of thought we'd get more that was not necessarily connected to the sequel trilogy, because I think we all understand now that they're they're keeping the sequel trilogy era pretty closed until the movies are finished. I think that's reasonable to assume now. But the Aftermath books would allow this whole era after Return of the Jedi that you could make, you know, however many series of books you wanted. I kind of expected more to follow those characters, and I'm glad that Last Shot does have some of them, but they're fitting as part of the the solo tie-in. And I think we're all here because we love tie-ins, right? Like, that's what, like, all these books are tie-ins. They always have been. <laughs> yeah. But the the lack of sort of emotional continuity is noticeable. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think for me, part of the problem that we're having with these novels specifically, I think the comics have been a little bit more consistent. And now, again, I could be biased because I love comic books. And that's more of my favorite medium to do uh, or to read Star Wars or whatever. Well, here we are talking about video game tie-ins. So I think all well, of our biases, we accept all biases here. Right. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but see, the thing is, I... I always prefer Star Wars on screen, period. Like I've always – that's always been my favorite aspect of Star Wars is, is, is the screen, you know, the, on, on TV. That's – the visual medium for me is what Star Wars is always the best at. The novels are, are a way of consuming more Star Wars and appealing to an audience that loves to read like you guys. You guys love to read probably more than I do. So with that being said, I also think that what – when I, when I think of the old EU, I, and I was, when I was a, when the EU was kind of, bur- you know, becoming a, a thing and birthing itself, if you will, I don't can think of a better term for whatever reason, but was <laughs> all the same birthing it, itself. It term turned inside out and revealed right. itself. Yes. Um, when it was coming out, I really felt they were making books. They were kind of doing a lot of crazy ideas, and they were coming out with a lot. It got overwhelming at first, but I, I feel as as looking at, as collected a lot of books and looking at you know some of the stories they've come out, they've tried to appeal and try to gone all and they go all over the place and try different things. And one of the things that the new canon has really done is really put like a, a cap on what they're going to do. You know, you can't really tell this yet. You can't really tell that yet. And there were, there were caps like that for the writers in the EU originally, but I feel they're even more handicapped now because they don't want to tell those stories because they want to maybe explore that in a film or, or whatever. So all these tie-in materials that we're getting, again, I, I go back to the fact that maybe they're not, they're not inspired necessarily, but they're just kind of like, we need to have a story and have a tie-in, you know, or whatever. And they're not really promoting them that well either. Like, look at Most Wanted. Like, that wasn't very well promoted at all. I mean, apparently I've, I've heard people like had to like ask the, you know, have it ordered because maybe they, the bookstore didn't even order it at all. So I kind of think that what, what they're doing with these tie in novels that we're getting too many tie in novels and we're not getting just a good story. Like, 
this is not a good story. This is a bad example, but we need more stories like this. Luke Skywalker novel, the um, the heir to the Jedi. Was that a great story? No, but at least it's a different it's a it's a different thing altogether. It's not a tie-in novel. It's not trying to tie into a comic or a or a series or whatever. They're just it is exists in itself, right? We need more books like that, and I feel like. Again, Thrawn is appealing to like these the rebels and and that whole thing and you know and and the and the Thrawn and all the Timothy Timothy Zahn people and that's and that's good. It's, it's kind of more of what I want. But let's do more of things like that. I feel there's less that or excuse me, there's less that and more like let's have a catalyst. Let's have a, a most wanted. Let's have a these other you know ro- or, um, the Cabalt Squadron books and and whatever. And they're just they're not all great. And I feel like there needs to be more like stories. Like, hey, do you want to tell a story in Star Wars? What kind of story do you want to tell? Okay. You can't do that. You can't do that. Or you can do this, maybe. And they go, okay, cool. I'll work on that story. You know, whatever. I feel like that's what they need to do more with the novels. I feel the novels are way more aimed at, you know, like you said, Megan, or maybe I'm mishearing you, but I'm assuming you're, I think you're saying they're tied in more than they are just separate stories. And I'm yes, getting, I think right I, now. And I, expected them to be a little more spread out by this time right. in the new canon. And I feel like all, so whenever a novel comes out, it's always going to tie into something else, which I don't mind tying stuff. I think that's great. I get excited about that stuff, but we need to have more novels besides just Thrawn. Cause think about this. What other novels are we, have we gotten? That's like a really fun, like, or just not fun, but an isolated story that just tells itself like by itself, right? Something like, original. Like yeah. Aftermath is even aftermath though is a tie into the force awakens which is fine those were okay but they came out once a year and they're fine like i would say that more like that yes thrawn yes bloodline maybe the last yeah, one bloodline's a good example too yeah like those yeah. are a story that's not that's in star wars isolated from everything else it may tell a, a, it treads on a little bit you know but it doesn't have to tie into it directly it's funny because lost stars quote unquote was a, a star Wars or a, a, a you know the force awakens tie-in novel but it barely was and i feel like that's the strongest one because it wasn't you know all it did was tell the battle of jakku or it took place in in, in uh, on, a, on a couple planets that that were in the force awakens other other than that it's just a solid star wars story so I really think that we need more like just solid Star Wars stories, less tie-in stuff. Or if you're going to do tie-in stuff, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to, you know, for my canon shelf, I'm going to collect it. I'm going to consume it because I love that stuff. But look, give me some more original stories like the comic books so I can really get into the stuff that doesn't have to tie into everything. Maybe I hit, I answered my own question. The comic stuff works for me more, not just because I'm biased and I love comic books to death, but it's because they're giving me stories outside of like, they don't have to tie into everything. It's just telling like an ongoing story and then we're, you know, and soon they're going to go into yeah. the Empire Strike, Strikes Back era. So <laughs> give me that stuff. I think there is, I do want to make sure that we're not, I, I don't want to just like rag on the publishers, right? I think there's a lot of hard work that's done there. I also think that it's harder to convince a company to fund a $28 novel than it is to fund comic books that you'll sell for $4 every month, right? Um, I think that there is a lot of, there are solid financial reasons for what they're doing, but 
that doesn't mean that as a fan, I don't go, okay, here we are in an era with unprecedented, like, amounts of Star Wars things. Like, the hours of Star Wars that we have in the new canon is astonishing already. With the TV shows and with the, 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 the excuse me, standalone movies. And with the books that we have, there's so much right now. And I'm always for the mindset of, not everybody has to read everything. Not everybody has to watch any, everything. Pick your era, you know. Buy the one book every two years that you're excited about or something. Like, there's no impetuous to listen to and experience everything. But we who, like, do experience everything are living in a very different environment than we did when the prequels came out or even when... I guess the prequel era was the most comparable when you had a movie... Uh, every couple years, and quite a lot of tie-in novels as well. And here we have what I think are kind of more heavily regulated uh, tie-in novels than we have had in the past. And some of that is, I'm a little, I think they're playing safe with some of this. I think some of the titles especially are very safe. I've talked before about how I don't like that they use names and titles, like Ahsoka, or which is Disney publishing, or even just Thrawn, like, I don't like that you use the, the name of the character as the title, because it's it's very obvious, it's very boring, right? But it's gonna get people <laughs> yeah. that maybe just see that book on a shelf and don't know what it is, and they know that name, so they'll pick it up, and I totally understand that, and I, like, I that kind of experience of picking up a book and going, oh, I recognize that character, that's, like, what started so many people on being Star Wars fans, and I don't think this era is going to turn anyone away, but it's definitely a different pace and a different type of product, which I kind of hate calling them that because, but it feels a bit more produced in terms of what the content is than before. And that's tricky to say because they're all, of course they're all produced. Like, of course there's thought behind this, but it feels a little more regulated, I think is what I said before, um, than maybe the some of the wilder parts of the expanded universe. And not that I expect, again, I'm looking back at when we started this podcast even, I think we were talking a lot about what is a new EU going to look like. And right now, the new EU looks like Aftermath, Bloodline, Rebels tie-ins, and the things that come out with the movies every year, right? Am, am I wrong? I mean, in the comics and games, too, but, like, focusing on the book side. No, I don't think you're wrong. That seems that seems like about it. I think it's just, yeah, having to adjust to how it is now. Um, and maybe Star Wars books aren't going to be the things I get super excited about anymore. Or maybe I will. Who knows? Um, I do enjoy reading them still, even if they don't capture my heart in the same way that they used to. Uh, for all I know, like, I mean, I'm a picky reader anyway, so it's kind of hard for me to just, like, I mean, I've read, like, hundreds, well, maybe about a hundred of the Legends novels, um, back in the day, and, I mean, I love, like, five of them, of, like, the hundred books I read, there were five that I can remember loving, so, I mean, it's not that different for me, struggling with the new books, it's just I'm actually reading them as they come out, and... I think because that's happening, it, it feels different for me, even though maybe it's not. Like, I, I will love a couple of the books out of 20 or something like that. And that's normal for me. That's how it always is. But for some reason, it feels weird and different. And I think that's something I need to just chill out about and just accept, maybe. 
that reflects a lot of how I feel, which is that like, sometimes I wonder like, is it just me? Is it just that I'm not necessarily paying more attention now, but like getting more access now or have the books actually changed or is it that I just haven't found my, I mean, I have found my favorite book in the new canon, but like I haven't found my five favorite books in the new canon yet. Maybe I don't, yeah. I don't want to be, I don't want to end on like this negativity, but I agree with what you said about how the books are not as exciting for me as they used to be. And I really, I hate to say that it reminds me of like, like, Destiny is my other big fandom that I'm into, and a lot of Destiny fans are like, I'm just not as excited about it as I used to be because, like, different changes they made and stuff. And, like, that's how I feel, and I don't like to feel like that, but I want, I'm looking forward yeah. to hearing, like, what changes are coming and what things are coming, but it's kind of like I'm waiting to get that same feeling again. Well, I guess if they are, going back to, like, what we were talking about right at the start with the rumors, if they are stepping back from standalones for a while or whatever to, like, take stock it's possible we might get some more kind of original star wars novels coming out in that time period like obviously we'll get stuff leading up to episode nine um god knows what that'll look like but in the time period between that we might actually get some different stuff which could be cool i could dig that and i mean none like i know the people behind the scenes like working in the publishing area do so much hard work on this and the authors do amazing stuff it just may not be my type of stuff um so no dig on any of them, obviously. But I I am curious to see how the future of Star Wars looks after this year. At least the Star Wars literature. I mean, I love the movies. I love books. I just love books a lot. It's a problem. Um, I kind of want them to kind of follow the comics lead a little bit with like characters like Afra and Sana who've come from the comics and are like doing their own thing. And they're really cool. Um I want to see the books do more like that. I don't know if it'll happen. If it doesn't happen, I will accept that. If it does happen, I will be very excited. Well, do you have anything else you want to add about the overall schedule? Yeah, I, I just wish there was they there were more frequent, and I wish they were like I said, less tie-ins, and they gave us a little more, even short novels. They don't have to be like you know big, you know grand. 500, 600 pages or whatever. Give me a short story. Give me a young adult novel, you know, where they're shorter a little bit. Um, give me something that's not tied into everything and, and, you know, and tell, tell some fun Star Wars stories that people want to tell. Don't be like, you know, Hey, you tell me an Ahsoka story. That'd be great. You know, no, like, like I want someone to be like, Hey, Lucasfilm or Del Rey or whatever, Disney publishing. I've got a killer Ahsoka story that I want to tell. And then the story group goes, you know what? If you change this, this and this, or maybe tweaked it a little bit, it would work in this. Oh, sweet. I'll do that. And they go, sell, you know, and whatever. Like, I don't know sure how it works, but I want to see more, more inspired stories, <laughs> something like that. Like, I don't want them to be like, we need to tell an Ahsoka story to make sales or, you know, I mean like, yeah, I do that. Sure. But like, give me, I want to hear, I want to see there's writers out there who want to hear you. They want to pitch stuff. Give it, give them the opportunities, man. And maybe they are, I don't know, but it feels like we're not getting, that. I mean, I want to see stuff like, even if we're getting more tie-ins, I want more tie-ins like Twilight Company. They're like very vaguely tied in. Like, in theory, you can see how it's a tie-in. But really, it doesn't really contribute to the actual property that it comes from. Unlike Last Shot, which feels like it should tie-in more than it does. Um, and is very much written to match the movie. But is just kind of... It's 
It's not its own story, really. It's also possible to write, like, a good story without it being your own idea. Like, I think that's some of the strongest Star Wars book, like, Revenge of the Sith, right? That was not Stover's idea at all. It was the movie, but it was an amazing book. Like, I think it's possible to write good work that is commissioned instead of you going to them. No, but totally. The hand, I agree. Like, yeah, um, definitely, like, bring in people that are, that really want this and that have the writing credentials too, but that have, like, this, uh, drive for Star Wars, right? And I think we've seen some of that in the certain point of view collections and the short story collections. Those are an interesting thing that also are tie-ins, right? But I think those are places where we might potentially start seeing more authors coming up. Like Ray Carson had a story in the Cantobite book and then had Most Wanted. So that's kind of, I think if you want to see where they're pulling from, looking at those short story collections is not a bad place to start. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Okay, well, I think that's good. I'm glad we got in our like state of the state of the union thing right now because I did I think <laughs> uh, want to talk about <laughs> want to talk about the canon books overall. So maybe we'll do a little bit more of that in the future as well. Um, anything else you guys want to add about these books before we sign off for today? I don't know. These were decent. I mean, Last Shot was... I didn't read Most Wanted, so I can't actually comment on that. But Last Shot was decent. Um, more, like, even if it's not going to be things that I, I particularly want or that, like, I love in the canon, I'm glad that they're doing a lot of different kinds of things. Like, Last Shot, obviously, is a stand-in. I mean, standalone. Not standalone. It's a tie-in. There we go. Um, but it's a fun book, and it's quite pulpy, and it does a different thing to a lot of the other novels. And I hope that we keep seeing stuff like that. All right, so... I think I'm going to wrap us up. Um, so thank you for listening. We're a Den of Geek podcast. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Blaster Cannon Pod. Um, Paul, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's. You can also check out some of my other podcasts, Marvel Newscast. Uh, that's at Marvel Newscast, where we go over all, a bunch of Marvel stuff. And also my other podcast, Star Wars Podcast, I sometimes show up on. That's The Saga Continues. You can check me out on there. That's The Saga Continues on Twitter. And uh, yeah, check us out. on. Uh, we're also on iTunes as well. Cool. Saf, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. Uh, I also run Not Safe Work Podcasts, which is a podcast network you can find on iTunes. Uh, and I also do Western Reaches with Megan and Rogue Podron on the Far Far Away Radio Network. Cool. And I can be found on Twitter at Blog Full of Words. I cover video games, Star Wars, and recently books for Den of Geek. Um, again, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month. Hold up, what was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.